Welcome, and thanks for listening to this show today. Um, I'm playing a podcast that, to the date, I recorded nine months ago, and it took me six months to get on YouTube because um, I was working so hard on my book all the time that I, and I have a, like a full-time job, so in my evenings and spare moments when I'm working on all this, I've been working on a book for the past year and trying to put breadcrumbs for myself to come to <clears throat> for things like this podcast. And now that the book is done, I can work on things like this. And if you want to know about my book, Hocus Focus, Coming of Age with ADD and Its Medicines, you can find all the information about that on my website, rlkramer.us. R-L-K-R-A-M-E-R dot U-S. I also want to just make a quick note about the audio quality. You're going to see a drop in it because I'm using a microphone now that I graciously inherited from my dear Uncle Bill. And I'm so grateful that the, this is here. And I'm, so, and I'm so grateful for that. And I'm glad I can honor Uncle Bill with this microphone. And right after this was just recorded on the laptop mic and that's how the whole interview goes. So just one more time though, I want to thank Dr. Kendra Campbell for taking the time and sharing her knowledge and wisdom with me. In a few minutes, I'll be doing the first podcast interview for my podcast. What's up, everybody? I filmed this interview six months ago. Dr. Kendra Campbell, as you will see, was like the head of psychiatric emergency room at Columbia University. She was a legit top tier by the book Psychiatrist. And she had her own way of turning it around and a personal experience with medications and switched it, flipped it, and reversed it. And now she runs a practice called Free Range Psychiatry, links in the description of the video, where she helps people get off psychiatric medications. I respect her immensely, and to be honest, I think she's quite a badass. So I just want to give her a space to speak. I'm just going to do these things. The temple is your body, and the visitors being different substances. We all interact with substances that are good and bad visitors. Some people trash the house, some people clean it. And by people, I mean substances. So the intention there is that we can talk about the visitors that come into our body, and they leave, and they go, where they stay, and how they interact with our body. But I think Dr. Campbell really covers a whole broad thing, so it's like not even centralized on that. I mean, we talk about the good the bad and the beautiful. Follow her on TikTok, that's where we met, and if you go on TikTok, you should follow her. She's got really good stuff, and when I see everything she does, it warms my heart, and I'm so um, lucky that she was willing to take some time with me, and I hope you enjoy what she has to say, and I'm so glad that I can give her a platform to speak, because I'm not qualified, but I can listen. Hopefully, I can learn, and that's what this is all about. So enjoy. Thank you. Um, oops, sorry, I gotta say, okay, one second. Yes, okay, so yes, it's about putting a, a very long discombobulated uh, story, but I'm gonna try to distill it down. So um, let's see, I guess my journey sort of started um, right after I uh, graduated college. And I, um, I actually worked at a, um, a state psychiatric hospital. I worked there for about three years. I was something called a psychiatric technician there. And I worked on the very sort of severe acute unit. So I was working with very, very uh, severely um, 
mentally ill people with um, all kinds of things like psychosis and things like that. And I was the, you know, spending lots of time with them. So I did groups and I talked to them and, you know, I was there with them 24 seven, essentially. So I really got to talking to them and sharing their stories and things like that. Sort of one thing that came up a lot was that um, I found that, you know, these were people who are very, very traumatized. These are people who had gone through quite a bit in their life. And it seemed to my little naive brain that um, this trauma and these experiences that they had must be, you know, very connected to how they were now having these, you know, severe symptoms of psychosis and depression and things like that. But what did I know? I was just a little, you know, lowly psych tech. And so I would see the psychiatrist come by, they would talk to the patients for maybe like, you know, 30 seconds to two minutes or something like that. And then they would decide to, you know, start medications or make medication changes. And um, from my perspective, um, first of all, like, I didn't see that the psychiatrist was really getting to know them at all. Like, you know, it was very, very brief interactions. And what I saw was that these medications, they didn't actually do much. They didn't actually seem to really, truly help the patients at all. And nobody wanted to take them, you know, and in fact, I, I, I regret this, but a good portion of my job back then was forcing people, convincing people, or even forcing them, sometimes holding them down uh, to give them medications against their will. And so, and, I, and again, it didn't even seem like it was helping that much. So I thought, you know what, like, is there something that I'm missing here? Like maybe there is. So it was at that point that I was like, let me go to medical school. <laughs> let me see if I could become a psychiatrist. And uh, because surely there must be something that I'm missing. They, you know, they have so much more, more training than I do. You know, I, I, there's gotta be a missing piece here. So I went to medical school. I went to residency. I actually did two fellowships um, uh, at Columbia University. I did one in emergency psychiatry. I did one in uh, public psychiatry. Um, after residency, I even worked for about three years in actually probably one of the busiest uh, emergency rooms in the country. It was in Manhattan at Columbia, like the top hospital. I sort of ran the um, psychiatric emergency room there and also was an attending psychiatrist there. So I was treating patients, again, that were very sick, suicidal patients, psychotic people who were very ill. Um, and at that point, it's kind of interesting. I guess I didn't mention in my journey, but what had happened was, so, so I had that little idea about like, you know, something's not quite right. But I will admit that through that process of, gosh, how many years, four plus four, eight, nine years of uh, nine or 10 years of medical training, I was, um, I wouldn't say I was like fully brainwashed and indoctrinated, but I definitely came out a different person than I went in for sure. I will say that I was heavily traumatized by that experience, which I now know is super common. Um, I could go on a whole side story, by the way. Like the pin thing oh. you do? Oh, yes. Pimping. I mean, sleep deprivation, food deprivation, like it's, it's so much of it. And, you know, quick side rant here, though. This is how, you know, it's, it, it doesn't surprise me that the most doctors, 99.9% .9 of doctors, physicians and psychiatrists, you know, in this country who have been indoctrinated into the system come out feeling the way that they do super traumatized. And then that unhealed trauma gets actually passed on to now the patient. So this is where this uh, cycle of trauma and um, people, no one actually getting better, no one healing. That's where that comes from. It has a lot to do with that. So I, I didn't know any of this at the time. So I, I decided that, you know, I, I did really like working in the emergency room. I'm a bit of an adrenaline junkie, I will say. And I, I did really enjoy, I sort of enjoyed that experience. But after about three years, I found myself uh, extremely burnt out. I had been working 80, 100 hours a week. I was working night shifts, like just, you know, I was seeing this, as they call it, revolving door in the emergency room, right? Where somebody would come in, I would, you know, we would give them some medication and then they would come back. And usually when they came back, they were worse off, right? So it, it was this idea like, you know, if, if, if the medications, if these interventions that we were doing 
uh, were helping, then why are the people coming back and they all seem worse? <laughs> so I was starting to just sort of realize that something wasn't right. And then in the meantime, my own uh, physical health and, uh, and mental health became horrible. I had, oh my goodness, I had probably like 10 plus different physical, chronic physical illnesses, gastritis, endometriosis, a whole bunch of stuff. My mental health was a wreck. I had insomnia. I had like ADHD. I had, uh, I had, had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. I was having panic attacks almost every day. Like it was really bad. Were you taking and, medications for all these, assuming? Yes. Yep. And at one point I say, I think at one point I was taking probably at least 20 different pills, 20 different medications a day. And, and, and I also want to mention, because just because I guess this comes up a lot, people say, oh, how is that possible? And by the way, P.S., all of my doctors. So I was at Columbia University. We, it's the top psychiatric facility like in the country. And all of my and all of my physicians who were treating me were all Columbia, uh, Cornell, Yale, Harvard. Like these were the, the best of the best people, physicians and, and people that were treating me. And yet <laughs> I was on all of these medications and I was absolutely miserable. Fast forward, basically, what essentially happened is I somehow got this idea that I wanted to have kids, but I had been told by six, seven doctors, specialists, I mean, uber specialists, no way in hell you can have kids, you need a hysterectomy. Because of the endometriosis and the fact that I had so many chronic medical problems, I had bipolar disorder, I had ADHD, I was on all of these medications, I had all of these diagnoses, and I had severe endometriosis. They all said like, no way, Jose, you're too sick. You're too sick to have kids. Plus, you know, you have endometriosis. It's just, it's not feasible. In fact, I had at least three or four doctors tell me that I needed to have a hysterectomy. I had, you know, have my uterus removed. So I said, but I, somehow I found this other doctor who was sort of like holistically minded. And I basically found myself one day in her office saying, God, it, it sure would have been nice if I could have had kids, but you know, I'm old now and um, I'm on like so many freaking medications and clearly I'm a hot mess. So like, there's no way that I could ever have them. And she, she looked at me and she basically said, you know, I think if you quit your job <laughs> and you like completely, totally overhauled your life, you could probably have, you could probably get off these medications and you could probably have kids. And essentially I took that little bit of a advice and I kind of like went crazy with it. <laughs> so, um, I, I went back and I didn't, I didn't quit my job at first, but I reduced my hours down to like 40 hours. And then I made all these drastic changes. Like I changed, I had so many toxic habits. I was smoking, I was drinking, I was doing uh, all kinds of stuff. So I quit all these toxic habits. I changed my diet, regular exercise, meditation, all of these things, uh, you know, started some vitamins and supplements. And um, in a very short period of time, I would say probably, probably about three months, I self-titrated myself off of all of those like 20 plus medications. <clears throat> what does that exactly mean? So normally, so I, I didn't stop them cold turkey. I, I titrated them, meaning, sorry, I tapered them. I went down slowly oh, okay. over time. But I, but I wanna give a real quick aside here to say, don't take that, don't do that. <laughs> uh, the way that. that, yeah, yeah. The way that I did it, I, I now know, now that I'm sort of an expert in this, in this area, that that was like ridiculously fast. Like, and I probably should not have done it that way. However, in doing it that way, I, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about the process and what works and doesn't work. And anyway, so I, I think goodness was able to safely come off of all these medications. And actually, once I was off all of the, the pills, once I was off all the medications, realized that I felt a billion, trillion percent better. Like, I, not only did I feel like 
better. Like, I mean, I felt like, you know, better than even before I had ever started taking any of these things. Like I felt like super, super, I felt, I felt amazing. What was the general class of medication you were taking? Yeah. So lots of different things. So I was taking benzodiazepines. I was also taking, um, uh, uh, like Percocet. So, um, what's the word opioids I was on. I think I was at, I think there may have been an SSRI at that point. I was taking all kinds of other stuff for my health. So like beta blockers, I was taking protonics for my GERD. I was taking a calcium channel blocker that was supposed to, because I was having problems swallowing that I was on. And, and, and at that time, those 20 medications that I was on PS, um, I had been on other medications in the past. So specifically psychiatric medications. So I have taken stimulants in my life. I have taken mood stabilizers, antipsychotics, SSRIs. So I have personal lived experience of being on a lot of these medications that are prescribed in psychiatry. So anyway, I had this, you know, I rapidly tapered myself off. Uh, I felt amazing. I, I actually ended up doing IVF, which actually that's a whole side story. Probably if I had do it again, I wouldn't have done IVF, but that's what I did. And um, long story short, I was able to create two embryos and I've had two healthy children since then. So all those doctors were totally wrong about me not being able to have kids. And in fact, I have extremely healthy children. Um, so essentially once that happened after a couple of months, and actually it was the day that my, the day that I found out I was pregnant with my daughter, um, <laughs> I had this, um, I don't even know how to explain it. I just had this spiritual epiphany awakening. I, I don't even know. And um, it sounds a little crazy, but I literally heard like the voice of my unborn child sort of say to me, quit your job. So I did. I, I literally, I, I, I found out I was pregnant. I heard that and I called in that day and I said, I'm never coming back to work. <laughs> and they were like, they were like, you're doing what? Cause like, you know, I was like, you know, running the emergency room. It was a big deal. They were not happy. But I said, no, I'm just, I'm not, you know, I'm not gonna come back. We left, I, I we ended up leaving New York City. Uh, it was my, my husband at the time. And uh, we, we moved to Virginia and that's where I founded Free Range Psychiatry. My idea was that, okay, if I was able to, come off of all these medications, if I was able to go from being like a severely, you know, ill chronic, you know, patient who was, you know, hopeless, and you know, couldn't have kids and all these things like, this is probably possible for anybody. So I, I did a crash course, I read, and I happen to be a speed reader. So this is something that's handy. Uh, I read like, I mean, hundreds of books, hundreds of articles, I consumed, I went to conferences, like I, like, crazily like you know i would have been diagnosed with mania had a psychiatrist seen me um so i consumed all this information and essentially i said you know what i'm gonna start doing i'm gonna try this out i'm gonna start this holistic psychiatric practice and i'm gonna help people like you know basically help them with their mental health problems but without medications i'm gonna try to doing it i'm, I'm gonna see what happens we'll see what happens that was kind of my thought process like honestly i didn't know if it was gonna work or not because i was kind of like well it worked for me but who i don't know i don't it might not work for everybody how can i say that so I just started doing it and I found out very, very quickly that not only did it work, but it worked like miraculously, basically using this holistic approach, which I could go into what that means at some point, if you want to know, to help people, people were like turning around, I mean, getting better, like insane. And not only that, but I started attracting people who were actually on psychiatric medications who wanted to come off. So it sort of became my niche. Like I didn't go into the practice knowing that that was going to be my niche. It's sort of people just started coming in and then word of mouth. Mm -hmm. um, and long story short, eventually I had a, a wait list, a really long wait list, because I found out that <laughs> there are many, many, many thousands of people who want to come off their psychiatric medications, but are stuck because they don't know how to do it, which we can talk about that too. But so essentially I started using what I call like a holistic root cause approach. And I was just getting people off of their medications. And I, I have to say that like my success rate 
is it's so high that I question it sometimes myself. <laughs> like what, what, when I say it, when I hear myself say what it is, which is like, it's basically close to 100%. And yeah. when I hear that, I'm just like, is that real? Am I bragging? I'm like, no, that's real. That's really what it is. And since then too, um, free range psychiatry, I have grown it. I have had other psychiatrists. Now we have another psychiatrist. I have started a fellowship. I also have something called the free range fellowship where I'm now training other psychiatrists, other nurse pr practitioners and other people how to do what it is that I do. And right. now it's basically just sort of exploding by every day I get like a hundred emails like my organization is just growing and growing and growing and it's just sort of like been this crazy sort of ripple effect from there and yeah that's the short version of how we got congratulations there. <laughs> that's a, a huge achievement I'm really thank you I'm, I'm really glad you're out there doing that because of course I've been through it yeah I would like to hear more about what is the process of it and I'm curious too just something that came to me while you're describing it is do you think that one of the key elements of that success rate is that the people want to get off hundred percent, I think it is. I mean, that, and in fact, actually, that is one of the sort of criteria for who I accept into my practice. And, and I do not accept just everybody. And, and, and that's a very intentional thing. And I can go into that. But um, yes, you have to want it. You have to want it pretty bad, I would say. And it, I've now come to understand that not only do you need to want it, you have to believe it's possible. So I, I understand a lot now that I didn't really understand this five years ago when I first started. But now I do about how much mindset, how important it is. It's not even just important. Like it is the thing. So like what we think is what, what happens. So if you think that you're not going to get off, if you think that something can't be done, then it, it, it won't. But if you really truly believe that it can, it probably will. So, so definitely um, that the success rate has to do with people who are really ready to do this and understand. Do you want me to go specifically into the sort of why hey. uh, the approach and everything or yeah, I'm curious why it works? What your, what your approach is to, I mean, because when people are on these medications, it becomes a huge part of their life. And so it's like, you have to amputate part of their soul, I imagine. Absolutely. Like I always say that this process, and I always give people like a spiel, like in the beginning, before we change any medications, which is like, this is going to be, this isn't just like coming off this. This is like your entire freaking world, your entire worldview, everything is going to like explode and shatter. Like it, this is a spiritual process. Is, is it a process of awakening? There will be grieving. There will be so many emotions that maybe you've not even felt, by the way, because a lot of the people that come to me have been on these drugs for a long time and they're not experiencing real emotions because the, the drugs suppress their ability to do that. A lot of this stuff is going to come up. Unhealed trauma is going to come up. This like it is not it's not really for the faint of heart, really. Um, mm -hmm. But if you're willing to do it, I am here. I have this experience now and I've now helped many people through this experience and I know what to expect. I can be here for you. I can be your guide. I can be your support. And I know how to help you plug you into other areas of support as well. And I also have developed a little bit of a recipe for what are the things that we need to do and address to make this process work. And I, so basically when I say sort of holistic root cause, the idea is that First of all, when people get started on a psychiatric medication, it doesn't happen randomly, right? There, there is something going on in someone's life that, you know, a reason, a cause why they're started on psychiatric medication. So that's going to come up because chances are for most people, the time, the, the duration of the time that you were on those uh, drugs, probably that didn't get addressed or healed. So there's that aspect that we're going to have to, we're going to have to figure out what's going on there and how that we can heal it, number one. And then number two, the drug itself, as I know, you know, causes all kinds of problems so it causes chemical imbalances neurotransmitter imbalances it causes dysbiosis vitamin deficiencies hormone imbalances it causes uh, brain damage it causes a lot of things so now on top of that we have to heal everything that wasn't healed when you first started and now we have to heal all of the stuff that got messed up by the drug itself 
and get you through this process of withdrawal. So that's why I say it's really, you know, it isn't for the faint of the heart because it's it's a big process and it takes a lot of time and it takes a big commitment. It takes a lot of energy, but it is very possible. So it, so that sort of root cause means sort of getting at what is the real thing that is causing this. And from a holistic perspective, I talk about all these different levels is how I think about it. So there is like the biological, physical, but then there's also the psychological or mentally emotional. Then there's the spiritual, then there's sort of the community, there's the energetic. So they're all, all these different sort of layers. And yeah. what, what causes like mental quote, mental illness, quote, mental health symptoms. It's not just one thing. And this is what people always try to, I think a lot of people ask me all the time, what's the one thing? I'm like, it's not one thing. It's many things. Uh, and so it's finding out for you, like, so, so whoever this person is that I'm helping, I need to know what are the specific things that happened in their life, biologically, in their childhood, in their emotional experience, spiritually, all these things, what happened that is causing these things, right? Get at what those causes are. And then the treatment plan that I create for each patient is based on whatever that is. So if they have, if, if it's, if it's, if one of the root causes is like they had some really traumatic experience when they were three, like we need to work on healing that process. There's nobody that I've ever met that had one thing, right? It's always multiple things. So it's always, they have, they had a childhood tr experience at three, plus their diet is total shit. <laughs> plus they have a hormone imbalance. Plus they have, you know, it's always sort of multiple things. And so the approach that I use, what I mean by holistic is not just like, oh, whatever. It, it means like addressing whole, the person yeah, as a whole. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So. It's like um, the traditional response is one cure. Exactly. And, and that, that. Yeah. And so, and I always get that, I get that question so much. And I'm sure you've got this question too. People are like, what, what supplement do I take for my ADHD? <laughs> you know? And I'm like, it is not that simple. Um, Cause I think they, when they hear That's holistic, the they think pattern. that. Yeah. And I, and exactly. I know that when I was withdrawing something, you know, I had no help, but that's a different story. But I found myself taking supplements like ginkgo biloba or go to cola, whatever. And I knew that it wasn't really the supplement. I just needed to swallow a pill before I got busy. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. And, and yeah. I, you, do you recommend supplementation to your patients and things like that? Because one thing I wonder too is like, am I perpetually going to be replacing one thing with another or am I actually going to shift this? Yeah, it's such a great question. Um, so the answer is yes, I definitely do recommend vitamins and supplements, but the majority of the time that I'm using them, they're not, I'm not using them. Like, it's not like I say, oh, use ginkgo biloba because it might help. It's more like you have a magnesium deficiency because you haven't eaten real food for 10 years. So I'm giving you this magnesium for this period of time until we get your magnesium levels up. So it's usually more of like a intervention based, not just like I'm just throwing vitamins and supplements. It's like, let's actually treat this. And I believe that for most people, just to answer questions about, you know, are you replacing one thing for the other? Most people can get off of those supplements, or at least the majority of them, if if you're willing to replace it with what, what you need. So for example, if you can make really, if you can have like the best diet on the planet and you're eating, you know, organically grown, super healthy, all this kind of food 24 seven, you probably aren't going to need it. But if you are like, you know what, I kind of don't really want to do that. And I, whatever, then yes, you might actually need to continue taking those supplements because you're replacing something that you're not getting in your diet. Yes. Yeah, and I have another question about your treatment. I'm just curious about, you said poop and cry. <laughs> yeah. Tell me more about the poop and cry 
technique. <laughs> I, oh, I definitely can tell you about the poop and cry technique. Um, so I, so what, what I see in my practice is again, talking about this like holistic approach, I see so many themes, right? You know, having treated many thousands of people, you start to pick up like, what are the things like there's themes there's that I see a lot. And the yeah. two that I think I see the most are people not pooping and not crying enough. And so let me, I'll start with the pooping because that one's a little bit easier. Um, so uh, one of the, so how, how much you are pooping actually is a beautiful indicator of your health, right? And so if you're not pooping enough or if you're pooping too much, like it tells so much information about like your health. And what I have found is it's, it's like a brilliant correlation. Most people I see are not pooping enough, right? And so what happens is that if, if you're not, it's both a symptom and a cause. So constipation or not pooping enough tells me that your body is out of balance. There is something going on that, that's throwing your body out of balance. But also when you get somebody to the point so that they are pooping regularly, you, you have fixed whatever those, usually you have fixed whatever those imbalances are. One of the things that pooping does is it detoxifies our body. And one of the biggest biological causes that I see of ADHD, mania, depression, anxiety, all these different things, one of the biggest biological drivers are toxins people who have a very high toxic burden for all the reasons of our, of our lifestyles, right? We're exposed to so many toxins, our food, the environment, et cetera, and they're not detoxifying. And so they're not, if you're not pooping enough, you're not detoxifying. And if you're not detoxifying, you're going to become ill. And that probably can manifest as a quote, mental illness or symptoms, brain fog, you know, lack of concentration, depression, anxiety. So many times I see once I get my patients pooping, they, their mental health, like, significantly improves. Um, so that's, that's sort of the pooping thing. It's a little bit more complex than that, but that's like a, 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 a kind of a brief version of it. And then the crying is something very fascinating to me. I have to sort of get a bigger sort of explanation here. So it is my belief and understanding, right, that we all have this energy, right? And energy wants to, you know, they say remain in motion, right? And we are, we are composed of energy. That's actually what we are. Our emotions, and I mean any emotion, sadness, anger, happiness, whatever. These are uh, energetic expressions. They are energy. Um, we have been taught in our specifically, really worldwide, but definitely in American culture, that emotions are bad, that our emotions are, you know, we want to run away from emotions. If you're having an emotion as a kid, what do they do? They, you know, here's a drug for it, right? We, we are told again and again and again and again and again by all these messages that it's not okay. And what happens is every time we, have this emotion, right? This energy, if it's not expressed, it creates like a, like a pocket. It gets stuck like this energetic stuckness within our body. And I now understand my, this is my belief that all physical illness and all quote mental illness is actually stuck energy. It's, it's blocked energy that has not been flowing. So by not allowing ourselves to express these emotions, we are creating all of these this physical and mental disease. And so that's why a lot of the healing work that I do with people is in about is, is like, let's find this. Where, where are all these blockages happening and where can we sort of express them? Now, one of the big problems, of course, is that, like I said earlier, most psychiatric drugs, actually all psychiatric drugs, um, prevent the expression of emotion on some level, on some level, they prevent that. So they are actually not only not only do these drugs not treat the, the, the quote mental health problems, they actually prevent they, you know, they prevent that, yeah. that, that whatever it is from being healed. So what we're doing, though, is we're literally preventing the body from doing the body knows how to you know, heal itself. It knows how to process this energy. But if we don't do it, then we don't allow the body to do what it needs to do. And so the process of crying 
is about this energetic release of emotion. And it is extremely healthy on a physical level, by the way, it also detoxifies. Our tears actually sort of detoxify our body. But you can think of, um, I like to think of crying as an energetic detox, right? It's a way of detoxing. In my belief, and I cry every day, actually not every day, like 95% of days, I, you know, I cry one way or the other. I'm a, I now realize this. I didn't used to, I used to block it just like everybody else. And now, now I don't do that anymore because I'm, I'm super aware. Um, just a quick side note too, what I see is, I see this a lot and I get this comment a lot on my, on my TikToks, which people will say, well, you know, I tried to come off of um, Adderall, I tried to come off of Prozac or whatever. And then I was crying every day. And so I like, clearly I needed it. So I, I went back on it and I'm like, holy shit. No, <laughs> that, that wasn't a sign. That was not a sign that you didn't need it. That was a sign that your body was trying to recalibrate. Your body is trying to do the thing that it needs to do. And what I have seen in this process of helping many, 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 many people off of these psychiatric drugs is that most people, when, as they start to come off of these drugs, cry a shit ton, right? I mean, they are crying and crying. And also all this other emotions comes up. They're happy. They're sad. They're, I mean, it's like they're all over the place because they have all these stored bottled up emotions that have gone like decades <clears throat> just sitting, sitting in their body. So it needs to come out. Yeah. So that not only does it, does, it's not only not a problem, it's a good thing. It's a beautiful sign that your body's working. So yeah, so that's, that's, yeah, that's where the, uh, the crying thing, I believe it's extremely healthy and that everybody should be doing it every day. It's the metaphor I always use, like you said, those bottled emotions that I imagine that you have this, this issue or something. It's like a dog that poops on your carpet or on it and you clean it up or the medications like newspaper, you know? And the longer you put that newspaper on, when you pull that newspaper up, you have to cut that carpet out. You have to bleach the concrete underneath. You have, you have so much more work to do now that you've prolonged the process with the medication than had you just addressed it when it happened. It's exactly a perfect analogy. And that, that is true of everything, right? That is true of every single symptom, everything that I see. And that is actually why it's one of the big reasons why it's so darn hard to come up with these things. Because again, you're having to heal not only the original thing, but now all these many years that you were taking it, you got to heal that as well. So it's, it's a lot of work. How do you gently communicate to those who are still very much clinging to the medication and who say what you say is, is dangerous? So, th so there's a lot there. And, and I just want to say too, that this comes up a lot for me. Like I get hundreds of comments about like, you know, you're very dangerous. I, I you know, made a video about it the other day. Um, which I think, by the way, to me, I just want a quick aside that what I see here is so much um, pharmaceutical programming. It, it's like this mantra. And, um, you know, uh, I, I've discovered this in TikTok in having a lot of followers because I have so many followers. I get so many comments. So I, I see these patterns. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I start to I start to I didn't really realize this was a thing until I was on TikTok and had a lot of commenters. And now I see these very, very uh, sort of um, boilerplate sort of words coming out of people. And I've started to understand that is programming. When you see something, when you see somebody saying the same exact words over and over, that's indicative of sort of uh, programming. And I think that we have been programmed as a society. And it, it's so fascinating to be like seeing these things. So I think I think people don't even think. And that's the problem, right? Like we aren't thinking, we aren't consciousness, we're not aware. And so it's like this reflexive thing. You know, they're like, you say something bad about a medication or whatever. And instead of just thinking about it and thinking, oh, that could be true. It's like this unconscious, just you're dangerous, but you're, 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 you're stigmatizing. Bleh. Like, does that make sense? Like, it's almost like they can't help themselves yeah. but to say it because they don't, they don't know anything else. I know, um, but I, I want to talk to them. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I'm going to get to there, too. So I think, um, yeah, so what you're seeing, though, I see a lot of resistance. I also see a lot of uh, projection, like, right, so th they're projecting 
uh, that's what I see in commenters a lot. They project their emotional experience onto you and they say that you're, you're doing. So the, the number one thing that I get a lot is, you know, you're shaming me. Stop shaming me. Mm -hmm. With all I actually said, like, you know, I can say, um, you know, Adderall causes psychosis, right? Like that, that's a, just a factual scientific statement, right? But someone will say, stop shaming me. And so when you break that down, you can see that what's going on is like, I clearly wasn't shaming them. Like all I was doing was presenting a fact, but what they heard in their head was their own judgment of themselves. They heard, well, that causes psychosis, but I take Adderall like, oh, oh God, now I feel shameful. Now she's shaming me. Do you see how that works? Like, so it's like, they're sort of projecting all this. So anyway, to get it, to get at your question, sort of what, what I do, how I think about it is that the best that I can do the very best that I can do, I think, is sort of planting seeds and educating people. And, um, and and sometimes I think that that's all that I can do. And I know that there are a lot of people who, are, who will sort of hear what I have to say, and they will get angry. There are people who will block me. There are people who will uh, want to argue with me. Um, but I think the best that I can do is sort of just, just sort of plant those seeds. And because it, it's my belief and understanding that we cannot change people's minds. We cannot change people's perspective. You, if you try, like, you know, go ahead and try. Like, you, you can't. It's, it's not possible. People change when they're ready. People see what it is that they're ready to see in the time that they're ready to see it. Um, I also kind of do believe in this concept of, like, divine timing. Like, I believe that, like, things will happen when they happen, when they're meant to happen. You know, like I, I think I think about this sometimes in my journey, right? Like, what 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 if I had had this epiphany when I was a second year medical student? Like, would that would I have still gotten to the place where I am right now? You know, what if it had happened earlier? W would that have been a good thing? Maybe not. Like, I, I you know I've come to understand that I had my awakening when I needed to have my awakening when it needed to happen. And if it had happened earlier in my journey, I don't think I would have come. I don't think I would be the person that I am right now. I don't think I'd be talking to you right now. I don't think that would have happened. So it needed to happen at that point. And so I sort of try to appreciate that with other people. And I'm like, okay, you're at this point in your journey and that's your journey. And, mm -hmm. and you know, and, and you have every right and maybe that's where you need to be. So I try to just be very like, you know, seed planting. I try to also just not, I, I try to like watch my own reaction um, and not and not get engaged because that's another thing too. Like people can sort of try to draw you in. And again, they're projecting all of their stuff on you. And so they're gonna make you feel bad because they feel bad. In, yeah. in my experience, it's usually, that's how it usually works. It's what, what we, how we judge other people is how we judge ourselves. Mm -hmm. So whatever thing that they're saying about, about you very often is the thing that they feel, not consciously, none of this is conscious. This is all very, very sort of subconscious. So one thing that I like to do though, this, I do this actually when I'm helping my patients as well, is I walk what's called my transference. So I watch my, my emotional reaction as I'm or interacting with somebody. I say, okay, how am I feeling right now? How is this, what is this bringing up for me? And then that's diagnostic. So if what's, if what I'm feeling is anger, if I'm feeling like some anger come up, then I know that that's the emotional experience of that, the other person and that they're sort of transferring it onto me, if that makes sense. Anyway, so to me, all these things sort of help because um, in understanding how to reply to somebody, if I understand what their emotional experience is or where they're coming at it or what their view is, it helps me to sort of be, you know, to, to sort of reply to them. And then the other thing is I just do a lot of like, uh, compassion, empathy, and non-judgmental, right? And I sort of try to just be like, you know, I see you, I love you, I'm here for you when, you know, if and when you want to come, like, sort of have a conversation with me about it, um, which, by the way, does piss some people off. <laughs> the moral of the story of what I'm trying to say is, I think you just do the best that you can and, and understand and accept that not everybody is ready to hear this, and that is okay. And in fact, it may be, it may be necessary for them. It may be necessary that they're having that experience right now. We don't know, you know? And just want to say, I have, um, I don't own Zoom, you know, and I have three minutes, 50 seconds left. Can you send me a link to, to keep it going? I don't know if you, you can do that. Yeah, 
Yeah, I can do that right now. Hold on a second. Uh, yeah, moving on. It's a good, good take a breather there. I, I am curious about something. It's like, a th you know, a lot of what I have is just, I think, almost from years of taking Adderall and stuff like that. It did um, blaze a path in my mind. You know what I mean? It's, it's a, uh, I can't deny that part of my brain was raised by Adderall and shaped by Adderall. And, and one of the things in there, it's like, I feel like it left me with kind of a obnoxious pattern recognition and stuff like that. And I'm curious, something I've just noticed, I'm curious, like a theory you can tell me because you're a professional, is that sometimes when I look at this and like ADD, depression, anxiety, um, even autism and stuff like that, <clears throat> I sometimes wonder, are they all caused by a same kind of hurt trauma, inflammation, dysregulation, and that based on who someone is, that same stress response diverts into that. For example, if I have ADD, my stress response is, this is stressful, I'm gonna distract myself. And where someone else is, this is stressful, I'm gonna be sad. Is that something? Okay, uh, so yes, you're on You're on exactly the right track with it. So um, so for, first of all, I just wanna compare sort of my understanding and holistic understanding to sort of the traditional Western model of like diagnosis and psychiatric, right? They see things as these like distinct entities, right? Like the DSM says you have ADHD or you have depression or you have bipolar, like they call them these like sort of distinct entities like they actually exist. And even though they don't know the cause, right? Cause like, you know, the DSM doesn't talk anything about cause or neither do any psychiatrists, which is the big gaping hole, right? That they don't ever talk about what causes any of this. The, the underlying thing is that it's a different thing, right? Like ADHD is caused by X and depression is caused by Y, right? So that's the, that's, this is the common sort of narrative Western model of psychiatry. I think that's absolutely completely wrong. Um, so number one, I don't believe in any of this distinct entity bullshit. Like I, I don't see that. Like when I when I am interacting with a human being, when I I, I don't give them diagnoses actually at all. I, I don't even use them. I, I find them completely useless. Um, I care about what experiences someone is having. I care about like the symptoms and we talk about it. But it in no way giving them a label does nothing for me. And in my experience, it does nothing for them. Long term, at least. Short term. Well, a diagnosis gives some people some stuff. Sure, it does. It feels great, right? Like it gives you a lot of great stuff short term. Long term, it can be catastrophic, at least in my opinion and what I've seen working with many thousands of people. But anyway. Um, people cling to it. Yes, exactly. But you cling, you cling to it so strongly that then you lose so many other things, right? Because you have clung you know, so, so tightly to this diagnosis. Um, so number one, I don't believe in this sort of distinct stuff. And then number two is exactly what you said. What I see happening, what I, what I see is that all things cause all things. Like, I know that sounds a little crazy, but so like, all, like you're saying the symptoms, I'm just calling it like the symptoms of ADHD or the symptoms of depression or whatever, the causes, what I see as being these core sort of root causes that I see now having treated many thousands of people with these, with these things is that they're all the same causes. Like they're the same classes of causes. Like you're saying, it is trauma. It is, the, the, you know, also there's a lot of times a, a vitamin deficiency that's contributing to it. It's this and that, like they have these same sort of causes, now, what determines whether or not someone will manifest into more like concentration problems or manifest more into depressive commons or, or things like that is a variety of different things. I think it has to do with at the core, and this might sound a little crazy, but at the core, I think it has to do with energetics. So whatever is like, whatever sort of, someone is sort of vibrating, like, I don't know if you understand like the, the whole concept of energy, but we, we're actually literally vibrating, right? And we're this vibrational energetic beings, right? And if we vibrate at certain frequencies, we actually yeah. attract those things into our lives. What I see is that like, if you're vibrating, for whatever reason, at this uh, frequency of depression, you're going to attract that. If you're vibrating at the frequency of 
appendicitis of an appendicitis, you're going to attract that. Like that there are these different vibrational patterns that we have that then attract those specific things into our lives, which then manifest on the different levels. So like, you know, inflammation, uh, you know, hormone imbalances, all these different things, it'll also manifest on that physical level. Um, I don't know if I just explained that very well, but. No, I mean, I, I agree. And, and like, you know, I even believe that if you watch a commercial on TV every night and they keep talking about restless leg syndrome, your legs are going to start getting active at night from the commercial. Yes, I agree 100%. And we know that actually. I mean, that's totally true. Yes. So I, I don't even see those, but. Uh, <laughs> I don't watch TV. An another thing I want to ask you about it, in my personal experience, you know, um, real quick, not to go too off, you know, I, I lost access to Adderall. I didn't choose to stop. Um, and about six months into that, I was invited to drink ayahuasca. And the experience really helped me sort of embolden my decision to stop taking Adderall. And even in beyond, there have been times where I like microdose psilocybin. And this, this is helpful and it feels like each time I do, it's growth, but I'm also still at the same time questioning myself if I'm just, you know, am I leaning on to another medication also it's okay to have medication. I think I was almost afraid of any medication, even psychedelics of dependence. And I guess my question is, is what are your opinions on that kind of emerging concept of like microdosing psychedelics for mental disorders? First of all, I love how the universe works. Literally the meeting that I just had before this was an hour and a half. And that's all we were talking about actually was psychedelics. So it's kind of fascinating. Um, I also want to say that you know, I just want to preface this with, I could easily write a book on this or several books on this. So it's like, I have so much, so many thoughts and opinions on this and, and personal experiences, clinical experiences, but just to sort of boil it down, I will say this. I think that um, psychedelics in general are a, uh, a wonderfully uh, sort of powerful tool. I, that's what I would call them opportunity um, offering that we can uh, use for, to, um, for many different for many different reasons, but one of them definitely being healing, healing things like on the physical level, spiritual level, emotional level, all these different levels. They are this uh, really potent way of, um, I was just saying this it, literally in the meeting before, I was saying that like, like for example, ayahuasca, like you can have, you know, a 12 hour ayahuasca experience that would equal the equivalent of like, you know, 50 years of psychotherapy, <laughs> yeah. um, but, but, but not even. Cause, right. Cause you could, you could still have 50 years of psychotherapy and you probably still wouldn't get to what you'll get in 12 hours with ayahuasca, right? Like it's, it's that potent. It's that, that powerful. Uh, personally, I am much more of a fan of the natural things. So like ayahuasca, the actual, you know, plant medicine versus the, um, the synthetic chemicals. And that's a, that's a whole sort of side story, but that's uh, just in, yeah. Yeah. That, it, there's, only it a, makes like, sense, right? Occasional ayahuasca and occasional mushrooms that, um, you know, my thought on this is these entities existed on their own will. Exactly. That's and they exactly. Weren't, they weren't forced into being by human nature, thus containing the flaws of humankind in their design. Hundred thousand percent agree with you on that. Like, why else would they exist? Like, I was talking about Bufo was actually what we were talking about in this meeting. But like, why would this frog, <laughs> like for nine months of the year, go underground and produce this chemical in there? Uh, like, then, like, why would that happen? You know, right? This is not this is not some weird like coincidence that all of this is happening. Um, and of course, we have actually been humans have actually been using these things for many thousands of years as well, right? Exactly. So, and actually, the whole if, there's a really good book called um, Ah. I can't remember that i literally just came up with it something the the the, the, the religion that never was 
I can't remember. Uh, but anyway, it's it basically talks about how uh, we were routinely using psychedelics thousands of years ago. Women were the ones that were actually kind of in charge of all of this. And then when like the sort of patriarchy came around and uh, Christianity came around, basically they were like, no, 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 no. You can't know God. You can't experience God. And also we got to take it away from those crazy ladies. So that's when the sort of patriarchy happened and uh, Christianity sort of came in and said like, no, you can you can access God through me. Like, you know, you can't know God. You can't be at one with God, which is that experience that a lot of people have when they're using psychedelics. Anyway, I think that they are extremely powerful. I wish that, um, I wish it was something that I had actually um, more legal access to that I could use with my patients more routinely. But what I have seen, the healing that I have seen with my patients who have uh, used it and myself, I have experienced many different uh, psychedelics personally. You know, I can't compare it to anything else. But I do always like to give the thing that two things, like my sort of disclaimer when anyone asks me this is number one, it is just a tool. <laughs> so I think there is this sort of like, oh, it's the placebo, right? You just, you have anything, you you know, you just do a little ayahuasca and you'll be fine. Like it's, it's, it's not a cure-all. It's not, uh, you know, it, it, it's just simply one tool to sort of, uh, of experience. And then number two, I think remembering using these uh, plant medicines with sacred respect right? Like not just like if we're just sort of willy nilly um, or if we're doing what big pharma is trying to do right now, right? And actually like turn it into a pill and medicalize it and all that. Like, no, yeah. no, so that's like, yeah. Yeah. I feel like the, the ketamine and the MDMA and the LSD, it's almost like dirty pharma is getting their grubby hands on the idea of ceremony and they're just screwing it up, trying to sell it. 100 million percent, um, especially ketamine, which, by the way, I really hate when people call ketamine a psychedelic because it's not a psychedelic. It's actually a dissociative anesthetic. It is like propofol. Yeah. It is it is an anesthetic like it is meant to dissociate you, to disconnect you. Um, anyway, I won't go on my little rant about ketamine, but I hate ketamine. It's helped some people. And I, that's great. But I have seen I've seen a lot of people become addicted to it, you know, using it in a medical setting. I've seen all kinds of PTSD develop from it. It's I, I would never recommend ketamine to anyone. Yeah. And that's, I think, what's what's really powerful about a ceremony is like, if I think about the ways it helped me, it didn't do anything, but sh just hold up a mirror to me and allow me to get some instructions because it, it didn't, it didn't, it, it was just insights that I reached. And then after that hard work that I chose to do after looking that closely. Exactly. The integration part, right? Like that's the other thing, right? You can't, it's not like you just do it and then like, you know, have a big party. Like it's, it's a lot of work to integrate all of that. Um, and like, like you're saying, it's like an access, it's like a portal. It's like a, it's a thing, but it's not the, it's not the thing, I guess, you know, it's not the Yeah. The, and I guess to compare it to Adderall, uh, you know, you take an Adderall effortless, effortless enthusiasm. And the way I look at it is I never worked hard on Adderall. I worked compulsively, I worked a lot, I worked strenuously, I worked diligently, but it wasn't hard because it was effortless. And at least that, that was like my, the lesson that I just felt came from there. Yeah, and but. so this is, yeah, and this is what I see, this is the difference, like you're saying, you're pointing out a very, very important difference. And I would say, along with Adderall is every other psychotropic medication. So all the antidepressants, everything else, what they do is they, uh, they, they, it's, it's a, I don't even know a good word to say, it, but it's like a chemical, uh, like, so for example, some people will say, oh, well, uh, you know, Zoloft saved me because, you know, I was in this horrible marriage for 30 years. And I'm like, well, wait a second here. <laughs> like, you know, would you have stayed in that horrible marriage for 30 years if you hadn't been on the Zoloft? Well, no. Okay. Well then wait a second here. So it's like, they, you know, they, they help us, right. Um, they help us to do these things, 
but really what are these things that they're helping us to do? And like you said, they're, they're, they're uh, removing that impetus, that desire, that the drive, that thing that we need. Let me just give a real quick story. Do you mind if I do that real quick? Okay. So That's there's this beautiful, yeah. okay. This is just, this is just an analogy that I like to use with patients. Um, I think it's just a beautiful example of what exactly what you're saying. So um, there's a story of like, there's this family with the kids and they have these two little um, butterfly chrysalises and they see one and the, 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 the it's coming out, the butterfly is coming out and it's like, so it looks so painful. And it's like ripping out and like, oh, and it's like so distressful. And finally, like, it, you know, gets out and turns into a butterfly. And so the, the kid says, that looks so difficult, mom. Like we should help this other one. Like shouldn't have to go through that. Like, you know, and the mom says, okay, yeah. So they take a little, uh, you know, knife and just ever so gently open it up. And then the, the butterfly comes out and it just sort of like lays there like this. And it turns, it, it, it never actually can fly. Um, and they actually find out that actually it is that struggle it is that physical, actual physiological sort of struggle of coming out of the chrysalis that activates the nervous system and the circulatory system in the butterfly so that they, it can fly. Um, and so without that struggle, then they're, 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 they're not able to fly. And that's the literal analogy that I see happen again and again and again with so many people during, you know, being on psychiatric medication. It's like, oh, we're, we're giving them to you so that to, to help you to feel better so that you don't have to feel this pain so that you don't have to feel the struggle. But then it's like, OK, but at what cost? you know? Yeah, you, you miss out. And it's, it's like, um, it's like a prosthetic is how I thought of it, too. I don't know if you're like, so my ability to focus leaned on this prosthetic. And I missed out on crucial development. And I, you know, looking at the, um, the document that they wrote up on me, the psychoeducational evaluation when I was seven, some of the recommendations totally surprised me. Like, for example, I had bad handwriting and a lot of it was in this time I, I was a late birthday kid. So I was a year younger, almost developmentally, but they suggested I stop writing and start using a computer. And, I, and, I, and it's like this cultural avoidance of struggle. Cause then that experience just told me if something's hard, find something else to do. You just nailed it. Cultural avoidance of struggle. Like that's it right there. Yeah. I'm curious also, have you seen this, like, at least in the ADD world, this uh, study by Russell Barkley that he published in his own ADD Etude magazine. Uh, give me the, I, I might know if you describe the study. He uses it to say that um, ADHD is a comorbidity and untreated ADHD reduces life expectancy by 13 years. Oh, yes. I, I haven't read that study in forever, but I did read that study, yeah. And people, it. It's like a, it's a scary study and a lot of people are using it, but I actually read it and it's about number crunching. He didn't actually have any sample. He didn't have any study. He just chose data. And I found out that his brother had ADHD and died in a car accident and he attributed it to the ADHD. And what's, I guess, frightening or confusing is that this, this piece of media is so powerful and it's being spread so much. And it tells people that if you do not take a stimulant, you will die early. Yeah. So this, this is a perfect example. This is one example, but there are many studies like this, right? About how we have taken one study and then that's the thing that becomes the thing that gets published in all the news and repeated over and over. Like I was talking about this programming, this mantra, the sort of, I, that I think is uh, quite intentional, by the way, by the pharmaceutical industry to sort of program it into believe it. I just want to point out how, how deep this goes. So this is, this is a big thing, what you're talking about, what you're touching on right now. And it goes way, way, way deeper. And is a little bit uh, like, you know, if I really went into it, you probably would be like, oh my 
my God, she's really a conspiracy theorist because it's it's a little crazy how deep. No, you probably end up in a place where we're both agreeing. <laughs> uh, it goes if you follow the money when it comes to these types of things, like it gets it gets a little scary on how deep these things go. I but I will say, I, so I as a doctor, right? So people have this idea, right? That um, I as a doctor received this like beautiful education, and it was like all these really nice people who are like really smart and, and you know doing all kinds of beautiful science, and like that's what becoming a doctor is, and that's what like no. It's not. It's not at all. Um, I, I didn't. I didn't realize this at the time. I, I really just woke up to this about five years ago. But my education, like as a doctor, like everything that I pretty much learned all those years, um, was essentially big pharma propaganda. It was essentially programming. It was essentially built upon studies. These big sort of landmark studies, like this one that you're talking about, um, that I never, I never read. By the way, right? I never read them. It's so funny. I actually started reading all these after, like many years after I had been working as a psychiatrist. I just believed them, right? Because I, you, you know, I took a test. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just, I just believe, like, because my, my teacher told them to me, and their teacher told it, like, this is just what you know. You get fed. You know, I didn't have time to read every study, so I just believed what all my teachers were telling me, and I believed all of these things, like about the black box warning when it comes to SSRIs, like so much of this stuff. I just sort of believed, and now I know. Now that I've actually gone back and read all the studies, and read all the studies that they didn't want me to see, like all the unpublished drug trials and all this stuff. Now that I have this sort of big, wider understanding, I see the vast uh, manipulation, scientific manipulation, manipulation of data, manipulation of results, manip uh, publication bias, like it is, it is profound, right? And, um, yeah. but that's, but well, that's- they fund all the studies. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. that's, this is the point. But I, I didn't know any of this, right? Like none of this was explained to me, none, none of this, it's only because I spent many hours of my life um, reading, actually reading these studies and reading other books and sort of coming to understand this. But I am now, I'm in the like less than 1% of doctors or less one less than 1% of psychiatrists who has taken the time to sort of do this. So I, I can tell you like, that's total bullshit. And that study is total bullshit. And I can tell you a lot of other studies, by the way, that have found uh, quite the opposite actually, um, that probably, and, and I, from what I've seen clinically too, treating thousands of people, I can tell you that I definitely do not believe that taking a, that taking, you know, amphetamines and all this stuff like is going to, you know, uh, protect your life. In fact, from what I see, it's going to do exactly the opposite. Exactly the opposite. Accidents. But then I, I get a lot of resistance when I mention something that, you know, I fear at some extent is that prolonged exposure to amphetamine can lead to Parkinson's disease. Yeah. Because of what, because the way I've just rutted out and grinded down my dopamine pathways. Yeah, I definitely think it's possible. I don't want to scare you because still like, yeah, I, well, you know, whoops. I, I, you, I, so I see just on this topic, I just got this question the other day. I see interesting, like, you know, during and during while people are taking not just uh, you know, Adderall, but a whole, all these other psychotropic medications. And then shortly after during that withdrawal period, like I can't even tell you, like, I, I, I mean, the hundreds of different um, diagnoses and problems and things that I see like popping up because of it's just, it's unimaginable, like, you know, how much sort of um, damage we're doing and, you know, just not to go too much on a tangent, but, you know, once you understand, once you understand how the human body works and that we are these, uh, you know, homeostatic, we, we want to maintain homeostasis, right? Like, and we are beautifully designed and uh, we, as in like, especially like Western allopathic medicine, we don't know shit. We don't know shit about how the brain works, about how the immune system really actually communicates with the gut and communicates with the neurotransmitters. Like our level of understanding is at like less than 1%, right? We, we, we really don't know anything. And so you can imagine that taking any type of synthetic man-made chemical, you know, for long periods of time is how could that not 
disturb? How could that not cause a lot of problems? How could that not create a huge problem? It has to. It has to by definition if you understand how the human body works. And that's therein lies the big problem, right? Is that we're not acknowledging or understanding or appreciating or addressing addressing like that this is what's going on. Yeah. Well, it's it's that the Occam's razor approach of modern pharmaceuticals. It's a lot easier for the doctor if you just continue taking it. And it seems that a lot of it is about that. At least in my case, it was easier for my parents. It was easier for my teachers if I was on this medication. So it wasn't easier for me, but it was easier for my support system. Yep, one hundred percent. Sadly, yes. And and also, I'm curious in my own in my own thing. Like, what what do you typically see when someone is getting off of uh, amphetamine specifically? Just like physiologically stop or physiological emotional do you see patterns in in the amphetamine withdrawal process oh absolutely everyone yeah yeah it's a it's a very common uh, pattern actually and i just want to mention too it's the same pattern as you would see from illegal amphetamines or methamphetamines like right there's this co- there's this interesting concept that you know legality changes the chemical structure or something and I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't i don't i don't really understand that like they're like oh but no that's illegal meth and i'm like how is that different but they're the same molecule anyway um so um, yeah, it's the same thing that you see, and also from other stimulants like dopamine, it, it's very similar. So usually, you know, when you go through withdrawal, most of the time you're going to see the opposite effect, right? The opposite of what you see with the stimulant. So you see fatigue, the depression, you know, just tired, brain fog, inability to concentrate, inability to focus. Like usually, a lot of the opposite of what the drug may have caused. Especially that I will say, just emphasize like that dysphoria, like really, really sort of extreme, profound dysphoria. Again, which makes sense, right? Because of what you have done with the dopamine in your body, that you're going to have this. What do you mean um, by dysphoria? Like uncertainty, unknowing, confusion. Yeah. So yeah, good, good point. So dysphoria basically means like just unhappiness, just general, just like oh, just feeling just blah, like just disgusting, sad, like kind of hopeless, um, like just lack of aliveness. I don't know how to explain it. lack of vitality, just very, very blah, you know, so that uh, a lot of sleep problems. Um, and then a lot of other things I see just come up like a lot of bizarro things. I've seen just weird symptoms can come up people all of a sudden having things like erectile dysfunction or neuropathies or like just a new onset of all kinds of weird things can pop up. And then and then I think, you know, the other thing that I see is just the common with all psychotropics, which is this like, like, what the fuck, like, what the fuck happened? Like, there's this, um, it's almost like people describe it to me, like they were in a coma. It's like being in a coma. And then like, all of a sudden you're like, you realize, but you didn't know you were in a coma. So it's like, now you're out of the coma and you didn't realize it. So it's like, holy shit. Like, this is reality. Like, oh my God, if this is reality, then what was that for the past 10 years? So it's like this, um, I don't know, just very sort of shock and a lot of grief like a lot of mourning and I call it like literally the way I describe it, like it's almost like you, like a a death. It's like a death in the family. It's like you lost someone because in some ways it's like you lost yourself. And so I see people have to go through this period of like grief and mourning, just like they would if they had like a death, you know, if that makes sense, like mourning the loss. I I, I had to bury a whole identity. I was a, a completely different person and I had different interests. I had different friends. I had different hobbies. I did have a different career. And I had to bury all that. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I see. I, I mean, that's a, that's experience that I see of everyone coming off of these. And so, I mean, talk about profound. And also, again, like talk about not for the faint of heart. Like this is, you know, something that you have to, you know, I, I try to educate all of my patients before this process. Like this is this is what may happen. And this is probably what will happen um, as you go through this. Yeah, I, I'm really grateful for it, though. I mean, it, it taught me how to get through a thing. And everyone 
And I think, you know, perhaps the reason I was medicated in the first place prevented an earlier onslaught of getting through a thing and challenges and difficulties and keeping your head up through all that. And, and that's the one thing I do tell my patients and I tell people who ask, I have never in my life, in my life of uh, treating patients through this process or just like the thousands of people that I get emails and messages from, no one has ever said to me, you know, you know, I wish I could just, I, I wish I like, I wish I would was still in that like a sleep period. You know what I mean? Like, I wish I could go back to that. Like they will say like, you know, they do mourn and regret, like for example, the productivity, like, oh my God, can you imagine like, could I be that productive again? Like, yes, that, but not the, um, not the asleepness, not the um, like, you know, just being checked out. Nobody ever has said, oh, you know, I wish that I, that I didn't have, it. like, I, I wish I didn't, you know, they don't regret this. You know what I mean? And, 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 yeah. and, and, they, and no one ever really regrets coming off of the drugs. Now I will say it can be really hard though. Like, I'm not saying it's not hard. Like you regret it as much as you're like, holy shit, this is horrible. I'm miserable. Oh my God. Like yeah. that kind of regret, but not the like actual coming off of it. You know what, I, if I'm making sense there, you know? Yeah. 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 No, totally. And I know that, um, you know, like I couldn't date or really mingle, but I was really good at tinkering <laughs> and working on a computer and, you know, there are times when I get stuck and I know that if I had such and such, I would be cranking it out, but maybe my wife would leave me and, and my life would fall apart. So. Yeah. 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 You're right. It's all, it's all about at what cost, you know? Yeah. Cause I'm, and with that particular drug, I imagine like, let's say I have a, a finite amount of like human energy that I can use. And like, let's say typically it's evenly distributed between my heart and my mind. The Adderall's 90% in the mind. Great mm -hmm. mind but losing the heart. No, I think what you're saying is really, really, really important because I believe that we are a mind obsessed society, right? Everything is on the level of the mind. Like people, most people don't even know that there are any other levels, like literally, yeah. you know, they're just, they just think that what you're, you're, you are your mind, what your mind is the thing that matters and productivity matters. And it's like the doing, the doing the mind, you know, when in reality we have all of these deeper levels. And I think that they are in fact withering away. Right. Like that, they, you know, they're, they're, they're not growing when you're not, um, when you're so obsessed with, you know, this sort of mind level stuff. Yeah. We worship logic. Exactly. And, yeah. and try to, and try to logically explain to somebody about how they're worshiping logic. <laughs> Cause, <laughs> Cause yeah, that comes up a lot when, when people are trying to like, you know, in comments with me, they're like, but this, 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 and I'm like, look, you don't understand. Like I'm, I'm trying to like, I, I'm yeah. Anyway, it's, it's hard yeah. thing to explain to people. Great. It's like I know when I was on Adderall, if someone told me it was bad, looking back the way I always describe it is I would build a temple of logic to protect myself from the truth. Yeah. Well, 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 you know, actually, well, I see what you, you know, on and on. A hundred percent. What is the, the hardest or is it possible to say there's a psychiatric drug that is the most challenging to uh, stop taking? That's uh, a good question. And I honestly have to say they all can be, um, just depends, you know, well, I will say benzos tend to be really hard. You know, there's, I, I think probably that, even, Xanax. Uh, yeah, like Xanax, like Ativan, things like that. Um, and then there are some of like these, uh, what are called SNRIs, uh, um, like uh, Cebalta and things like that, that also tend to be like, I, I don't know. I mean, the stuff that I have seen, like the, the, especially like the physical amount, like the physical torture, the pain, the things that the dizziness, the vertigo. I mean, like, I can't even begin to explain to you how severe sometimes the, the, the physiological withdrawal can be for some people. 
So I would say those tend to be the hardest, but also with the caveat that it's all, it, everybody's different. And so, you know, what yeah. one person fi finds easy, somebody else might find more, more challenging. So yeah, I've witnessed some people go through hard times with SSRIs and it seems like a brutal, brutal withdrawal. Yeah. And especially, especially when you think about that, when they are prescribed by the doctor, the doctor says, you won't become dependent upon this. That's how they're prescribed, right? They're prescribed as this, like, you know, I, I won't give you Xanax because you could become dependent upon that, but take this, you know, SSRI, like there's no dependency. I was, that's what I was trained to say. That is what I, that is what I actually told patients like you know, years ago before I, I knew any better. I would literally start somebody on one of those medications and I would say, don't worry, you know, these don't, these don't cause dependency. You'll be good to go. And that is what 99% of people in the United States of America right now are hearing when they're being started on these medications, even though the truth is the exact opposite. You know, I, I will say this too. I mean, this is the thing that I'm coming up against all the time too. Like I get a lot of hate. I get a lot of hate from um, other psychiatrists, especially, um, mm -hmm. you know, it's just, and it's just fascinating to me what this kicks up, what, what, what me speaking the truth sort of kicks up in them. And I get it. I'm always very empathic. Cause I'm like, look, I was once you, I understand but they tend to be my worst criticizers. You know, they're the ones that, they're the ones actually that are reporting me to the medical board. Um, I, or at least they're, they're the biggest ones doing it. Um, yeah, because it's just, you know, it goes against everything that they were trained. It goes against, what I think it is, is it goes against their foundational beliefs too. And, and like it, it, to, to believe something different would like sort of just require this, like just huge, uh, you know, cognitive dissonance, like, and they just, they can't even imagine a world and, and also loss of their job and their income and their car and their house. Yeah. And, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like, they can't just to hear me say that, like it, it kicks up some pretty strong emotions in them, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I get a lot too, just, just being public in my position, you're not a doctor. And I'm like, yeah, good. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's, that that's another thing too, is that gatekeeping that, that almost like if I mention a study, I'm not allowed to even look at a study or interpret a study because I don't have the qualification of doctor. And it's like, I, I can read, I can interpret this information without um, going into a huge amount of debt and losing four years of my life and putting myself in there. Because doctors are equated with God in our culture, right? Like doctors know everything. They, yeah, they, you know, yeah. they are, they're like God-like in our culture. They know everything, doctors know stuff. And like, that's that's what is instilled in people all the time, right? Is that, ask your doctor, right? If you have a problem, ask your doctor, go to your doctor, tell your doctor you have this symptom, let the doctor prescribe. And to me, so that's that's one of the big missions of free range psychiatry is that I believe that we have been all fooled and we have been robbed, literally robbed of our power and autonomy through this Western medical you know, system. And so I believe that the true radical transformation that needs to occur that like to, so that everybody can be healed is this like big empowerment thing. Like we have to take back our power. We have to take it back. And you have to say like, that you do not believe that they know better than you and that you actually know better than you. And I, I get this a lot too. I get a lot of people saying, what should I do? Should I do this? Should I do that? You know, you're a doctor, tell me, tell me. And I always have the same reply, which is like, I have no fucking clue. You're the one, you're the one that knows what's best for you. I don't know. I certainly do not know. I am not the expert. I never will be the expert. You are the true expert. And so putting the power back in the hands of like the people, really, um, I think is the true key to uh, getting through all this and to like, you know, mass healing is if we sort of take that back because we've been robbed of it, um, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. You know, I, I, I felt that I felt violated. I felt taken. I felt taken advantage of. I felt abused by all this. And I'm so glad you're out there doing that work. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I you're welcome.
And uh, yeah, I wish I'd known about it because the, the way I, I did it was really uh, insane, you know, <laughs> when I went through the withdrawal, because part of it too is like suicidal ideation just by default, even though I knew I wouldn't act upon these thoughts, just like my brain was saying these things. And I always said, that's, oh, that's the withdrawal. It's acting crazy today. Yeah. You know, not only that, I, I just watched this really great YouTube video. I'll try to send you a link if I can. Somebody forwarded it to me. So good about this woman. And this is what I see. And by the way, so treating, I treated a lot of suicidal ideation. So when I worked in the psych emergency room, that's, not, you know, that's my bread and butter. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the most common psychiatric emergency is somebody wants to kill themselves. So I've worked with a lot of suicidal patients in the emergency room, but also outside. And so I think I have a pretty good sort of, and I and myself have been suicidal. But anyway, um, I've now come to understand that a lot of times what people feel as um, suicidal ideation or wish to end their life is actually a, a spiritual emergency. And it's more about wanting, it's more about ego death than physical death. That it's like this um, spiritual energetic of this part of us sort of wants to die off. And so I believe that that is one of the reasons, there's multiple reasons why suicidal ideation is extremely common in people coming off of psychotropic medications. I see it almost every, almost 100% of my patients experience it at some point. Um, mm. But again, what I was trained to do, if I did what I was trained to do in, in my, in my uh, you know, uh, career, I should, as soon as a patient tells me, oh, I, you know, I want to kill myself, I'm supposed to call the, the ambulance and have them picked up and taken to the psych ward and, you know. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, exactly. Like, that's what I'm supposed to do. And I, I, I don't do that um, clearly. But what I also know is that, like, I've come to understand that that to me is a sign of actual healing that I'm like, oh, thank God you're having suicide. I don't say it quite like that. But I'm like, OK, now wow. we're making some pro now we're making some progress here, because to me, that's a sign that they are hitting this point of like ego death of like spiritual death that a part of them, a part of them wants to die off. Wow. And not only not only is that not pathological, it is it's fucking beautiful and it's brilliant and it's a sign that they you're healing and you're on the right path in my opinion. Even though, and and by the way, giving somebody that perspective versus like oh you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna take you in the hospital like you know, it's a big deal. Yeah, that's that's amazing because I mean my explanation to myself was that it was a problem solving part of myself saying oh all your problems would go away if you weren't here to have them. But I think what you said is way more accurate and a way to to not run from that feeling, but to embrace it. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. It's beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, I, I, by the way, I think I do have to go. I have um, a thing. I think it's about I that time. I, I have to, I have to work and everything, you know. <laughs> I'm just yeah so I'm just going to is there anything else you want to say you know in here uh, I, I think I've said a lot so I I think I know but just thank you thanks for having this conversation with me um, it was a lot of fun yeah and thank you so much if you want to learn more about free range psychiatry go to freerangepsychiatry.org and you can learn all about Kendra's practice and if you want to learn more about my book and the stuff I do, go to rlkramer.us and have a good day. Bye.